awesome. Love that. Love that. He lives. Hallelujah. That is good, good news. So uh, if I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina. I have the opportunity to serve here at Firewell as the interim pastor. Uh, we're really glad that you are here worshiping with us today. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, we are really glad that you are here. Just a quick service announcement. Remember that in a couple Sundays from now, on October the 30th, if you are interested on going on a mission trip with us next summer to Ecuador, we're going to have an informational luncheon. That lunch is going to be provided for you. And so... Uh, and everybody, no matter what age, if you, are, if you can walk and you are breathing, then you can go on this mission trip. So we have people of all ages go on these trips, and it's a great way for you to extend your faith and see how God is working in other parts of the world. So we'd love for you to be able to join in with that. All right. Well, today we are bringing our sermon series in the book of Ephesians to a close. So we have journeyed through the book of Ephesians and walked through it. And how many of y'all enjoy our trek through Ephesians? I hope that y'all have enjoyed this as I've enjoyed it as well. So remember the book of Ephesians is broken into two really nice sections for us. Chapters 1 through 3 gives us kind of the doctrinal presentation of the book of Ephesians as Paul's laying out some theological groundwork. Chapters 4 through 6 kind of deal with the application then of that groundwork. We have covered a lot of ground. Chapter 1, remember he talks about all the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ because now we are in him. Things like being adopted that we know and perceive the love of God and all these different spiritual blessings that we have received. Chapter 2 begins with talking about what we looked like before we came to know Jesus. And so he's talking to the church and he's reminding them of what they, their position of what they were before they came to know Christ and then after they came to know Christ as they received salvation by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Then he talked about how we are, uh, basically the Jews and Gentiles were divided in this church and how Christ has broken down the dividing wall, unifies us into this one body now called the body of Christ because we are all under the banner of Jesus. So now we are this unified thing we call the church. And then as we continue this journey on, Paul talks about things like the oneness that we experience, this unity that we have being part of the body, and just what it means for us to put off the old self and to put on the new self in Jesus. All these various different things that we have talked about. And last week, we talked about uh, just the relationship of now now on a very practical level, now that we've come to Jesus and then now that we're working this thing out called the Christian life, what does it look like in a Christian home, within the context of a Christian home, between husband and wife to walk out this reality, remember Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we talked about how that is really the framework then of the rest of chapter 5 and then the beginning part of chapter 6, which we're not going to cover, where he talks about children and parents and then he talks about slaves and their masters. And this basically is outlining the, the reality, the bedrock of that actual section when he's talking about the way it functions within a household. So within a household, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we looked at that in the context of the marital relationship where there's mutual submission amongst equals. With the wife told to respect her husband and the husband is called new, six times within the little passage uh, to be able to love his wife. So our one true statement was out of reverence for Christ, there's to be mutual submission between husband and wife. Out of reverence for Christ, there's to be mutual submission between husband and wife. 
So today we're going to close out this series by talking about what is a very familiar passage, but it's a passage, unfortunately, many times I think we relegate to Sunday school, and we don't realize the significance of what we're really talking about, and I hope that you see it with fresh eyes today, because we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, and we're going to talk about the armor of God. We're going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare today, because do you know that you have an enemy? We have an enemy, and I don't know about you, but I live in this world. This world's pretty broken. This world has sin that has infected it. I see the enemy at work all the time, and he's doing his dastardly best to be able to bring destruction and death. And so we need to realize that we have an enemy, but God has given us armor to be able to engage in a spiritual battle. So step back in time with me, talking about dates, Kelly. It's June 1944. After a 24-hour weather delay, the largest military operation in history of warfare was about to begin. Preceded by an aerial bombardment of coastal defenses and 13,000 paratroopers dropped behind enemy lines, 5,000 ships and 156,000 soldiers are about to storm the beaches of Normandy, France. D-Day has arrived, as it's been called. Just before the invasion of Normandy, General Eisenhower issued a now famous letter to the soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Forces. In it, he let them know that they were about to embark on a great crusade to bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. In instilling confidence in the invasion force, General Eisenhower did not in any way suggest that the task would be easy or that the enemy would be defeated quickly. Instead, Eisenhower penned these famous words, your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. You and I as believers have an enemy, and he is well-trained. We have an enemy who is well-equipped. We have an enemy who is battle-hardened, and we definitely have an enemy who will fight savagely, okay? He does not care about rules of engagement or proper warfare. It's easy to think about within our modern culture that we live in, that we live in this culture that's so naturalistic, this postmodern culture, and this culture that it, it, you know, that's all about reason at times, to neglect the reality of the supernatural nature of our faith. You realize that you believe in a God you don't see. That's a supernatural reality. God is spirit. Doesn't the scripture testify to that? He is spirit. So there is a supernatural nature to our faith that we cannot reduce down to naturalism. Okay? And sometimes we have a tendency to do that in our culture that we live in today. So when we do that, we often neglect the reality of this spiritual war that is going on around us that even though we may not be able to see it, but we definitely see and feel its effects. And that's to our own detriment when we ignore what is going on. Here's my one true statement for you today. God has given believers spiritual armor to be victorious in a spiritual war. God has given believers spiritual armor to be victorious in a spiritual war. So if you want to open up with me, we're going to find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. We're going to look at verses 10 through 20, and we're going to see three easy movements in this passage that are pretty easy to see, but we're going to unpack this a little bit. What does this mean that God has given us the spiritual armor to be victorious in a spiritual war? So the first thing we need to recognize, and starting at verse 10, is we need to know our enemy. 
and he gives us a little description of who he is. So here's Paul's words, in, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This sounds like a Marvel movie, doesn't it? It sounds like something cosmic. It sounds like the sky's about to crack over New York City, you know, and the Shataria coming through. You know, so it sounds like something like otherworldly, but it is. But this is a very real reality for us. It's important to note that when we're talking about this, that notice that he talks about our strength comes from God because we are not sufficiently strong in and of ourselves. You and I do not have the ability apart from Christ to fight the enemy. We don't. I don't say that in a way to like demean you or to feel bad. That's not the point. The point is, is that Jesus gave us a spiritual ability and wants us to tap into that reality. He's the one who's able to overcome the enemy. But thankfully, he's on our side. If you're a believer in Christ, he's on your side. So, we're not sufficiently strong in ourselves. Paul talks about this armor as something we have to put on. That means you and I can have the armor but not be using it. That means that if we have to put it on, that's an active thing that we do. We can just relegate it and have this ability there and not utilize it, and then we are being beat up in battle and wonder why we're being beat up in battle. Because we don't got our armor on. We don't got our gear on to protect us. Soldiers don't go into battle without some gear on, right? They got their boots. They got their, they got their fatigues. They got their, you know, their vests. They got all this, the, the equipment that they need that will prep them for the battle that is ahead. So why are we going into battle with our, without our equipment on? I think there's a reason behind that. We'll talk a little bit about that. This armor is at the believer's disposal needed in the evil day, according to verse 13. So in those days when severe trial and critical moments in your life, when the devil and his sinister underlings assault you most vehemently, you can put on this armor. And you can say, no, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to actively resist. Okay? Let's talk about the enemy for a moment. Let's talk about him. Who is this devil? Is he just the guy that some people are going to dress like right now with a red pitchfork and some horns on for Halloween? Is he something cute and cuddly that we try to make him? Is he like Lucifer on the show Lucifer that he looks real snazzy in a suit and all of a sudden people like hanging out with him? Is that who he is? No. Let's look at the description. I'm going to give you just a few key descriptors that the Bible says about our enemy because we need to know him. Number one is he's a liar. John 8, 44, there is no truth in him, Jesus says. He is literally a liar. That is his main description. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us that he is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We know that according to Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is taken into the wilderness to be tempted, he is tempted by who? By the devil, by Satan. So Satan's a tempter. He knows Sin wouldn't, be as, uh, sin wouldn't be as alluring and tempting if the tempter didn't know how to pull the strings, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us that he is the God of this world. God, lowercase g, in that sense. But that he has some level of authority over this world. We read about that in Ephesians 2. At the beginning of Ephesians 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. 
okay? And then lastly, we know that he's a thief. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10, 10. That's just a few descriptors of who he is. So here's the one thing I want you to know. Even though I just described to you an enemy that is powerful, please hear me. Satan is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at every time. He can't just zap and all of a sudden show up in another place. Satan does not have the ability to be able to do that. Satan is certainly not all-powerful. He doesn't have all the power. And Satan is not an eternal being. He's a created being. Satan certainly is not the yang to Jesus being the yin. They're not brothers in some cosmic fight that they're on equal playing grounds. He's in the minor leagues and Jesus is in the major leagues. Okay? So there is no comparison. Other religions will try to say like somehow there's this cosmic battle going on like as if they're two equals. They aren't equal. They aren't. The devil is a created being. Limited authority, limited power. He stands no chance against our God. As a matter of fact, if you read the end of the book, we win. And if you read the end of the book, something happens to him. Okay? So we know he is destined to be annihilated. Here's a principle. You must know your enemy if you're going to be successful in battle. It doesn't mean that we underestimate him. It doesn't mean that, you know, there's, it's funny because we play these polar opposites sometimes when it comes to, depending upon how you grew up. You may have never talked about Satan, or you may have always talked about Satan, right? But somewhere in the middle there is probably where we should be. But the reality is, is that we need to know our enemy. We do need to know him, but we don't need to be afraid of him. We need to know him, but we don't need to be afraid of him, okay? Our enemy has an army, a hierarchy of demonic forces at his disposal. This battle that we are engaging in is a, physical, is a spiritual one that is waged in the spiritual realm, but it, it manifests itself here in the physical realm. And you can't fight a spiritual enemy with physical weapons. I can't take an AK-47 to the devil. You can't do that. So we don't fight with physical weapons or by physical means our weaponry comes from God. So this battle is a battle, a war that is waged in heavenly places, in heavenly realms. Now you may be asking yourself, Pastor, that sounds like some weird language. It does. Sounds like some weird language. How can I physically on earth in the physical realm wage a battle in the spiritual realm if this is a spiritual enemy? I'm so glad you asked that good question. You're a really good Bible student. Good question. Good question. So right now, those of you that are watching me online, in some way, or if you watch this video, you if you watch this video later on, you wanted to go back to it and you watched it, in some way I'm at two places at one time. I am physically right now preaching on the pulpit at Firewell Bible Fellowship in Rowlett, Texas. I am also in the home of other individuals as they watch online right now. So in that sense, I'm in two places at one time. Even though I am physically here, you can say that my presence is there as well. So even though I reside on earth, I'm waging a battle that goes in heaven that affects both the physical and spiritual, the seen and unseen, and yet we can battle on both fronts. I can resist the enemy so that way his spiritual force does not manifest itself here on me physically right now in the physical arena that I can resist him because I have spiritual weaponry that God has given me. We are in a battle. We're in a battle. There's no other way to say it. We're in a battle. 
We need to recognize that, and we need to be ready and aware of the schemes of our enemy. Because he's a schemer, he's a liar, he's a deceiver, but he is limited in his power, and he's not greater than your God. They're not on the same playing field. Second thing, let's look at what is this armor? Look at verse 13. What is this armor we're given? So starting at verse 13, we're going to break down these elements of this armor. So Paul says, then, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, that's important, having done all to stand firm. So stand firm, here he says, and he says it again in verse 14, so as believers, standing firm is not a passive act, it's active resistance. It's saying, I'm not going to be moved. It doesn't mean that you physically don't have to stay in one space like you're in stasis or whatever. However, it's a state of disposition of like you are actively resisting, saying, I'm not going to be moved no matter how much this enemy tries to come against me. I'm going to stand firm, and he's going to tell us what we're going to stand firm on in a moment. It's an active, not passive resistance. Let's look at a description of this armor, verse 14. It says, therefore, having fastened on the belts of truth... Holding everything together, just like you wear a belt, right? It kind of holds everything together. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So what is this belt of truth? Truth is a fun word. It's a word that has, that is uh, lots debated as to what it actually means. But if we could talk about truth, we could say it in this way. Truth is that which measures up. That means it has to measure up to a certain standard. Now for the believer, our standard is God's standard. So when things fall short of what we believe God's standard to be, then we say those things aren't truthful. When the enemy says things that, and says that God said those things, like when he tempted Eve, and he doesn't measure that up, no, that doesn't measure up. That doesn't pass the sniff test. That is not truth, as he speaks in deception and lies. But the belt of truth is truth is that which measures up. I love how Dr. Tony Evans says it. He says this, that truth is God's view on any subject. I like that. God's view on any subject. Plain and simple. God's view on any subject. Right? Now, here's a principle for you. It's not enough for you to know truth. You must walk in it. It's not enough for you to know truth. You must walk in it. Truth isn't a series of propositional statements. This is what I mean by that. It isn't a thing like, okay, I'm wearing black pants. That's a factual statement. I just made a statement to you. But it doesn't do anything, right? Truth doesn't function in that way in the believer's life. If you believe certain things about God, it should allow you to then move and walk in them, okay? It's not that I'm just believing all this information about God and like, oh my God, this is awesome. And I believe all this information. No, it's not about that. You must walk in it. For the believer, truth starts with God. He is the measuring stick. How do you combat an enemy who is a liar? With the truth. If your enemy's a liar, you speak the truth. That's how we combat the enemy and the father of lies. With the truth. But we have to walk in it. We have to actually live this thing out. We walk in it. What is this breastplate of righteousness? If truth is that which measures up to a standard, God's standard, once you understand that truth, you can live it out right and wrong. Righteousness has to do with our position before God, but it also has to do with the idea of doing righteous acts, okay? So a breastplate was something that covered like the front and also back of the person. It covered all their internal organs, their important squishy organs, all right? It covered the heart, it covers all their important organs right here. 
So breastplate on the front and on the back. So if I could say it this way, to me, the breastplate represents that God's truth protects us. God's truth protects us from walking into error. God's truth protects us from walking in deception. God's truth protects us from an enemy who is a liar. God's truth protects us in allowing us to know the way in which we should live. Look at verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on by the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The shoes of peace, if we can say it that way. The picture here is a believer ready to stand against evil forces because they are firmly grounded in the gospel that brings peace. The gospel isn't just a series of historical things. When we talk about the gospel, we talk about, well, Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. He, was, uh, he died for our sins upon the cross, that he was buried and he rose again. Those are all historical facts. That's not what saves. What saves is what do those facts actually mean and what did they accomplish? Those realities, by placing our faith in them, that's what saves us. That's the gospel. The gospel is us placing our faith in the person and work of Jesus. Not that we just affirm that Jesus did these things or that he was a historical character or all those, but that is the good news that brings peace. The message of that good news is that you are once separated from God, that you did not have a righteousness that you now have. You now have peace with God, vertically speaking, because of the work of Jesus. That's the gospel that brings peace. That's what we do, these shoes of peace, bringing that message of peace. It's a security that can be had in our minds and our heart even in the evil day. The gospel is what anchors us. It's what gives us sure footing against the enemy. It's our battle, where we're on the battleground, it's where we're standing firm upon the gospel. We stand there, we're grounded, we're anchored. Because we know that it is a message of peace, it's a message of strength, it's a message of redemption, it's a message of a great God who's overcome the world. So we stand firm in that reality. Verse 16. And in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, which you, have been, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith. Faith is always an active term. Faith has feet, like I like to say. It's taking what we know about God and believing what he says to be true, trusting him, and then acting upon that trust. Let me say that again. Faith has feet. It is taking what we know about God, that's the information part, believing what he says to be true, that's the trust part, trusting him, and then acting upon that trust to walk in him and to walk in his ways. That's what faith is. It's always an active thing. So when we take the shield of faith, we are walking in faith. It's a metaphor. And here's this metaphor about these flaming arrows talking about all this stuff that comes against us, these dangers that are posed by Satan with our evil thoughts and temptations and trials and all these things that come after him that are all sent directly by him against the believer. And we take on the helmet of salvation, verse 17. And, the hel and take the helmet of salvation and the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation. Here it does not specifically refer to 
uh, it's not the idea of salvation in Christ from sins, but rather the effect of salvation that he has mentioned throughout this book that it gives us a confidence against our spiritual enemy. Because we have been saved, because we've been adopted, we can go back to chapter 1, all these spiritual blessings and all these benefits that we have under heaven being in Christ, that comes on our, it's like if you put something on your head to protect you, it protects your mind, it protects you from all the outside things that would try to come against it. When we are saved, our, it's like putting on this thing that protects our minds from knowing and we can have confidence in the work that God has done. Now, I don't know about you, but I love watching movies. Y'all love watching movies? I like watching movies, but I sometimes don't like it when movies get spoiled for me. You ever watch, you ever have that friend who always got a big mouth and spoils the movie for you? You know, it's like you know you want to go see the movie, they know you want to see the movie, and yet somehow they're dropping it on Twitter or they send you a message, and then they, they spoil in the movie for you, right? When you watch it, you feel like your experience has been tainted somewhat because you know the outcome. But here's the reality. Here's where I think our minds can be protected. Because I know the final outcome of this cosmic moral we fight from, we fight from a position of strength because you know that our God is the victor. I know that my God is the victor, so I fight not from a position of weakness, I fight from a position of strength, and it's not my strength, it's his strength. And so I fight from his position. And so, since I know the outcome, in the evil day, I can fight knowing the effects and promises of salvation that have been appropriated to my life, and know that I am a child of God, walking in his image, in his likeness, walking in his power, and his authority to be able to overcome the enemy. I don't know about you, but that brings great solace to my mind and my heart. I do not have to be a slave to sin anymore. I do not have to, I can resist the temptation of the enemy. I do not have to be his, his folly. He does not have to be the means of my fall. Because I have a God who has saved me, who renews my mind, who cleansed my heart, who gives me all of these spiritual blessings, who gives me the ability to fight in his name. Lastly, the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon in all of the armor. It's clearly identified for us by the word. He says the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And here's something interesting, is that notice in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted and the enemy speaks certain things to him, what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture to him. He quotes scripture back to him and tells him, and tells him the right, while, while the enemy's trying to manipulate what he's saying, or trying to bring some level of clarity and bring some indistinct level of deception, right? Jesus is then quoting back to him the word of God. We can use scripture specifically in life situations to fend off attacks from our enemy and to put him in flight just as Jesus modeled for us. Because the word of God is where there is power. It's not power from words on a book. It's power based upon the God's whose word it is. The God behind the book. So when the enemy stands against me and tries to come at me, I can tell him the promises of my God because I know my God is faithful to fulfill his word. So how do we put it on? Look at verse 18. How do we put on this armor? Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and all supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, 
And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. Remember that this is a spiritual battle. This is spiritual armor, so it makes sense that we put it on through spiritual means. So how do we put it on? Here's a principle for you. Prayer arms and positions us to utilize our heavenly authority. Let me say that again. Prayer arms and positions us to utilize our heavenly authority. Now think about this for a moment. When Jesus is asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. He gives them a prayer, right? And he gives them a prayer we often call the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, one of the lines says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth, On earth as where? In heaven. In heaven. Jesus actually modeled it for us. What the believer is praying when we're praying that, we're saying that God, right now earth doesn't quite look like heaven. Let them align a little bit more closely. So when I'm, when I'm going through temptation, I'm going through trial, when I feel like the enemy is coming against me and there's active assault on me and my family and all these different things, I can say, God, right now earth don't look like heaven, but I need to engage heaven and I need heaven to come down to earth and I need my earth to look a little bit more like heaven. So can the spiritual reality come to the physical reality, change the circumstance because you are greater. Because you can do it. That's what I need. And that's the right position to be in. It's not our fight. It's his fight. We may be the targets. You know that you are the target of the enemy's hatred for God. That's basically what you are. He's trying to utilize you to get at him because he never could be him. That's what's happened from the very beginning, right? I can't get to God. Gets cast down from heaven. So what am I going to do? Those who are creating the image and likeness of God, I'm going to mess with them. Try to get at them. So you're the target of a war where the enemy is trying to get to your God. But guess what? He can't. But he's going to try to get to you. So what do you need to do? You need to engage your God. You need to call in the general. You need to say, general, I need you to get here. I need you to engage on the, in this battle right now. I need you to be able to do what only you can do. To believe, to move on earth as it is in heaven, that your kingdom would be established. Heaven is on your side. We need to utilize and be more willing to call out to heaven for help. Our natural inclination always is to want to try to do things by ourselves. Why is that always our natural disposition? To be so dang independent. It's okay when you are in utter desperation and feel like you are completely at a loss and life is just beating you to holy heck to be able to cry out to God. It's okay. Because prayer is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon. Prayer is like this key. By praying, it's not that we manipulate God. It's not by me praying that I can make God do whatever I want. No, but what we can do when we pray is we can pray to God on his terms. So if God gives us a model praying and says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm going to take him at his word. I see it all throughout scripture. There are some of these Bible figures that we look at. Moses challenged God with his word. I'm going to challenge God at his word. 
You know why? Because my God is a God who keeps his promises. My God is a God who's faithful. My God is a God who wants to intervene in the life of his people. I hope that you believe that about him as well. Here's a passage you need to memorize. James 4, 7. I'm going to leave you with this and we're going to close. We're going to summarize and close. James 4, 7. This is a very simple way to remember this. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now it's an easy scripture to memorize, and I encourage you to memorize it. It's not necessarily an easy scripture to live out. But listen to it again. Submit yourselves therefore to God. So that means humility. That means coming to God in humbleness, recognizing that he's the one. Coming to him that we are in right relationship, vertically speaking, submitting to him. So submit to God. Resist the devil. That's an active term. That's something that you do. You participate then with God in resisting the enemy. And then the promise is that he will flee from you. The reason why the enemy is hanging around your life, the reason why the enemy may be bringing destruction around your home, the reason why the enemy is loving to mess around with you sometimes is because you are not actively resisting and calling heaven down to be able to activate on your behalf. He says, if I do this, if I submit to God, if I'm right with him vertically, and if I come in humility and say, God, this is not my battle. This is not a battle I can wage. I recognize that the enemy is great. He is well-trained. He is battle-tested. He is savage. I recognize that he is that. But then I come to him and say, you know what, God, but I'm going to actively stand upon your word. And I'm going to resist and I'm not going to allow. I don't want these thoughts. I don't want this stuff to come into my life. You promise that he will flee from me. He will flee. He will. It's a promise. It's a conditional promise in that way. If you're not humbling yourself, submitting yourself to God, if you're not resisting, he's not going to flee. But if you follow through on this conditional promise, I believe God will fulfill and the devil will flee from you. You don't have to let him hang around. Don't let him hang around. He doesn't need to be in your life because he's going to bring nothing but destruction. Let's summarize this for you. So our one true statement today was that God has given believers spiritual armor to be victorious in a spiritual war. God has given believers spiritual armor to be victorious in a spiritual war. This is a war that's battled on two different fronts. It's a spiritual war that shows implications in the physical, but we need spiritual weaponry in order to fight a spiritual battle. And so God gives us to that. So the first thing we need to know is we need to know our enemy. So we talked a little bit about who he is, but we need to know him. But we, even in our knowing him, we do not have to fear him. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not have to fear Satan. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You do not have to fear him. Walk in that today. Your God has authority. He has the power. He's the non-created being. He is the one who's all-powerful. He's the one who's all-knowing. So we put on this armor that he gives us, and we put it on through spiritual means, through prayer and through activating it in that way. So how can you put this into practice? Well, first thing is that you need to put it on. So when the evil day comes, when temptation arises in your heart and evil finds its way at your doorstep, 
and it's in your home and things are just seemingly falling apart where it seems like attacks are coming, fiery darts are coming from every side, put on your armor. It's your job to take up your armor. Every single day, just think about it and say, you know what, God? Help me to put on this armor today. Protect my mind with the helmet of salvation. Protect my heart with the breastplate of righteousness. Help me to walk in truth with the belt of truth. And just focus your mind and your heart on that. And know your enemy. I would encourage you to not only explore the passages that I notated, and they're on your, uh, your sermon guide today, about knowing your enemy, but there are also other ones as well. He has minions that seek to destroy us. And I would encourage you to know him well. Doesn't mean you fear him, but know him well. Search out the scriptures and be able to see what, he said, see what it says about him. But at the end of the day, it always says he is defeated. He's defeated. So that way, we could take solace in that reality. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that you are victorious. That Jesus says you overcame death, hell, and the grave, and you are the one who is all-powerful. I thank you that you modeled for us, even in the temptation, what it means to actively resist the enemy by utilizing the word of God and not allowing ourselves to succumb to his ways. But Lord, we commit ourselves humbly to you, that we would be in right vertical relationship with you. And so when we do that, I pray that you would help us to actively resist and that, Lord, you will follow through on the promise that the enemy will flee from us. Thank you that we do not have to live in fear, but we can live in hope and we can walk out in power. And that, Lord, we do not have to be slaves to sin any longer because we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your Son. And so, Lord, that all begins with having a right vertical relationship with you. So if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice today that does not know what it means to know you as Savior, I pray that they wouldn't just know things about you, Jesus. That they wouldn't just know that you came to this earth and that you died upon the cross for our sins and that you were buried and that you rose again, but that they would know that in doing so, that those actions, the incarnation, the substitutionary atonement on the cross and the resurrection from the grave secures for us the salvation that if we place our faith and trust in you and believe in who you are and all that you have done, that we then become new creations in Christ and we, we are born again. And then now we have you who resides within by the power of the Holy Spirit and that we can overcome the world. So thank you, Lord, for who you are and all that you have done. Help us to walk in victory today and not walk in fear, but to walk in faith and to put our truth into action as we battle in this war. But thank you that you are the one who is victorious. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray and by the power of the Spirit and the people of God said, amen, amen. amen. So we're going to have the ushers come forward and we're going to go in and collect the offering. And I want to thank you guys for your gracious giving. This is an act of worship as well as we give. We give unto the Lord with cheerful hearts. And uh, we do that as an expression of uh, our gratitude to him. So let me just go ahead and pray over the offering. And just, um, if you want to give through the basket or give online, the information is to be able to give online or to give via text. Uh, you could do so in that way. But Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to give as an act of worship. Thank you that you are the God who provides all. I pray that you would take this offering, cause it to multiply, Lord, that we may continue your work here at Firewheel that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Mm.
So if we can get y'all to stand, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll say our benediction and get you released. But just to give you guys a preview, so next week we're starting a new sermon series that I'm really excited about. And the sermon series is called Riding the Waves. Now the whole idea behind this series is that God has made you and I with emotions. And sometimes we feel emotions in certain waves, like the waves of an ocean. But if we're not careful, we could be swept under by those emotions. But God has given us many different ways in which we could ride those emotions and not crash. So we're going to talk about how we respond to certain emotions. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about doubt. We're going to talk about grief. We're going to talk about how we respond to all of those in a healthy way and allow God to be able to bring his healing and allow us so that we are not crashed under the waves of those emotions. Okay, so we're going to start that next week. So as we go... May the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. You are dismissed. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Mm.